I'm Damian Lillard, and you're listening to From the Rose Garden on the Athletic Podcast Network. Today's episode of From the Rose Garden is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. Rip City. Both teams play hard. Both teams play hard. Both teams play hard. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of From the Rose Garden. I'm your host, Dave DeFore, joined not by Jason Quick, giving him a couple weeks off, but by my good buddies in Portland, Sean Hyken of Bleacher Report and Danny Morang from NBC Sports Northwest (laughs) Blazers Outsiders. I save. Good Lord. I I really was like, what is he doing now? Right now, what anybody does now. Right now, nothing, man. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, aside from drinking Pedialyte. Yeah, that's very true. Nothing like getting a text from your buddy saying, "Oh man, I'm running a little late." (laughs) At noon. Too much Don Julio. That's all right. Listen, we're all coping with the social distancing and quarantining in our own ways. Although most of us, I think, are drinking too much. Here's the thing. I have literally managed to go the entire time until last night without drinking. That's amazing. Right, I, I, I had not drank at all, but we had Joe Shane and I a little meetup plan. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do something special. Went down to the liquor store, got me a little nice bottle of Don Julio, and most of it's gone. <laughs> I love that the liquor store is essential services. It's pretty, pretty incredible. I mean, let's be honest. It. It kind of is. Actually, it honestly, well, there is like a public health issue. If you, you can't just shut down people's supply of alcohol, because a lot of people would, we'd, we'd be having real problems. Yeah, but that's going to get dark. <laughs> um, so at The Athletic, we are trying to, during you know this crazy time, to highlight local businesses that are still open and operating so we can help them get more business. And uh, hey, we got a couple of guests from Portland, so I wanted to give them the floor Right off the bat, to point out uh, a couple of places that that you guys should check out, uh, Dan, I'll start with you. Uh, for me, man, like I, I'm, I grew up in Southern California. I'm a big Mexican food guy, and even though I live out in the suburbs, this is going to sound messed up, but there, uh, uh, the name is just really unfortunate. There's a spot right off I five and two seventeen called Coronas. It's a Mexican. It's a Mexican spot, oh, and yeah, my family's been going there for years. Uh, I went in there the other day and picked up a to-go order, and legitimately, I gave him, you know, like a, I think I gave him like a twelve-dollar tip, and the man looked at me like I had just, you know, bought him a new car. So they're they're clearly hurting. It's it's a it's a family-owned restaurant. Uh, their food's great. Their service is impeccable, and as people, they're fantastic. So if you got a chance. I know the name's unfortunate. Probably makes things even worse for him. So if you can show some love there, go ahead and do it. Sean, do you have a spot? Yeah, I do actually. Uh, 
there's a one of my favorite bars uh, on the kind of kind of right on the border of downtown to the east side uh, is this place called Loyal Legion that's just got an incredible, incredible selection of beers. So that's like rotating constantly. Like I go there, like they have like a whole two sided menu just of beers, it's like a hundred or so of them and they're like changed out constantly if you go there like in between you know you 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 go like two weeks between going there like that'll be totally different but it's always really great stuff and they actually are doing curbside like even though it's a bar and you would think you know most bars are probably not open they actually are selling like take-home growlers of you know the beers that they have on tap and so it is something that you can go there and, and you know get curbside pickup of of like actually you know kind of more high quality, you know, craft beers to kind of take home with you if you, if you want to support them. And, you know, it's great, it's great staff, great people there. Uh, I've been, I have, you know, a couple of friends I go there with pretty frequently when we were allowed to go places back in the old days, but it's, it's <laughs> they're loyal legion. They're worth supporting. Back in the old days. Shout out to go uh, beers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So uh, the reason I've got these two guys here, um, we are going to give the, 2019 2020 portland trailblazers grades it's gonna be a report card we're gonna go through the <laughs> roster uh sort of in alphabetical order and but we're not gonna talk about no offense to you know moses brown but I'm we're gonna talk about the name moses brown <laughs> we I mean, actually do we actually do there actually is like a memorable moses brown moment from this season is it enough to give him a grade uh no, but it, it's worth it's worth <laughs> mentioning. Yeah, you remember that Phoenix game where uh they 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 had a double digit lead, you know, with like fifty seconds to go before halftime, and then they put Moses Brown in, and it was, they, it and was then, six points in like three seconds, something like that. Yeah, it was a turnover three inbound steal kickout turnover three. And they cut the lead to like eight points at halftime, and then uh, Portland <laughs> ends up losing the game. They were up by twenty at one point. <laughs> Well, uh, okay. So then there's the Moses Brown anecdote right there. Right. So Moses gets enough. Uh, all right. So, um, right off the bat, we're going to start with Carmelo Anthony, uh, 15 points a game, six rebounds, just under a steal, half a block, one and a half assists, uh, shot 37% from three. Not bad. You know, not, not high volume for a game, but still pretty good. Um, most impressive thing that he did. I thought was uh, he brought it on the defensive end, played a lot of defensive quarterback for this team. Like he, he actually used his, his experience. Uh, he was helping the younger guys. Everything I heard about him was great in the locker room. I mean, you know, he's Carmelo. He's Anthony, Carmelo right? Right? Like yeah. everybody loves him. Yeah. Um, so what do you guys think? Uh, I'll start with you, Dan. What, what do you give Carmelo on his 50 games as a blazer? Uh, here's the thing. I mean, if you've heard me talk about Carmelo like at all, you would know that I didn't want him here. It's, it's never something I wanted. It was never uh, Carmelo the dude. Fantastic. I, you will never find me say something sideways about Carmelo the dude. Carmelo the basketball player, I never enjoyed. He came here and honestly, after a couple games, I was like, eh, okay, let's see how this kind of wanes away. But man he did what they needed to do in a situation that I didn't think he could do it in. So for me, and this is going to sound probably a little welcome to me, I'm giving him an A. Wow. You asked a guy to come off the scrap heap and become your third option in the middle of a season when things are going sideways and you know his deficiencies, you know he can't move, you know he can't go out there and finish at the rim anymore like he used to, 
but he still he probably won them five games this season by himself. Like he legitimately probably won them five games, and that's that's a credit to him. Now, who knows what it means kind of going forward? But I mean, for me, it's easy to give him an A because you, you took a dude off a couch and and had him hooping for fifty games, and who knows how sideways? No, no, no. Let me go and rephrase that. I know exactly where they are. They're probably one of the five or six worst teams in the league without it's true. Carmelo Anthony. It's true. Legitimately. He, he they, they salvaged their season to a yes. certain degree. Well, he did because you have to keep in mind when they signed him. And, you know, it's easy now to look back and say, oh, what a genius move. They signed this guy who had been out of the league for, who's a, you know, he's a future Hall of Famer and, you know, one of the best Well, Nate Duncan ran recently. him out of the league, guy. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> but so they saw, you know, they signed this guy, you know, because, you know, they lose Zach Collins the three games into the season. And then they basically go through like, okay, Anthony Tolliver, like what are their other options? Anthony Tolliver was just, you know, physically just was, you know, past his prime to the point where he basically couldn't stay on the floor. Mario Hazonia, basically unplayable. It got so bad that to the point, like right before they went on that road trip, they had this game against Toronto that they lost and they threw Nasir Little into the starting lineup. And remember when they drafted Nasir Little, it was supposed to be a long-term project like Anthony Simons, where he wasn't even going to play at all this year. And they suddenly were like, okay, well now you have to start a power forward because we have no bodies. And so that's just where the Blazers were at when they brought Melo in. And so even though, you know, Melo, there, there was a reason he was out of the league for a year. He wasn't good in Oklahoma City. He wasn't good in those 10 games he played in Houston. Like, if you wanted to look at the, at that sample and say, okay, Melo might be done, I'm not necessarily going to knock you for it. But given what the Blazers had already had to work with, there was very little downside in bringing in a guy like Melo where, you know, you know, he's a name, you know, you know, he's going to command a certain level of respect and there's no way he could possibly be worse than what they already had. And so I thought, you know, OK, there, there's really no reason not to try this out. And then it mostly worked pretty well. I kind of am with Dan. If we're grading on a curve, I kind of have to give him an A because he came in. He did exactly what they wanted him to do. You know, he another guy, another guy who can score. So it's not only Damon CJ that you have to guard. He was better than expected on the defensive end. He was not entirely mailing it in on that end, which for a guy with his age and his reputation yeah. on that end is certainly uh, a, you know, a pleasant surprise there. And then also just the amount of the level, I think there's, there's really not a lot of ways to overstate the amount of respect that he commanded in that locker room because, you know, and I did a story on this at Bleacher Report when they first brought him in, talking to like some of the guys on the team. They all grew up watching Melo. Dame was a, was a Melo guy in the LeBron versus Melo debate when they were coming out of the draft in 03 and so like these guys all grew up with Melo as like one of their favorite guys and so suddenly he comes into the locker room and they all look at him as like oh this is a legend this is Carmelo Anthony and you know that's a third guy besides Damon CJ that could really take on that leadership mantle that people could actually listen to and you know from everything I saw you know he was you know the Stotts and the coaching staff all really liked him the players all really liked him he was great with us as media like Mm -hmm. from day one like I just the, the Carmelo Anthony experience was, was phenomenal. I have nothing bad to say about it. The the one thing I think that, that kind of gets lost in like the basketball side of things, who in the league is getting you 15 a game on a pro-rated vet min middle of the season? And by the way, playing uh, eating up 32 minutes a game. Okay, not not just 32. Okay, that was him being ramped up. He yeah. was he was actually closer to 35 36 right. when it mattered. When like when they yeah. really were like, "Hey, we might have a chance at this playoffs before the things went sideways. Look at his minutes per game. You see 38, 37, 38, 36. He was eating minutes, which is insane to think about. Hey, listen, uh, for the aggregators listening, uh, that's Danny Morang saying <laughs> Carmelo Anthony was dollar for dollar the most valuable player in the NBA. 
listen, he <laughs> he was. I love that you're not. I'm not not saying it. that. I really hate to see you're, it. Like legitimately, he was dollar for dollar the most valuable player the Blazers had outside of Damian Lillard. That's, yeah, I mean, he he like, was great in his role. I, I think an A is pretty. It's a no brainer. Yeah. Uh, again, like you said, every reason that you guys just laid out, the value of the contract, the points he provided, the the minutes, um, and and the competency on defense, and and you know, just being another positive force in the locker room. I mean, just you know, guys get too. guys get met vet minimum deals just to do that and he yeah. also happened to contribute quite a bit uh here's a question for you guys do you think the blazers should be bringing him back is he I, willing to take a minimum or like how much how much money is he yeah. is he gonna want well he's, he's 35 years old i i think right but at he's this still point. carmelo he's still carmelo anthony and he's proven that he's not completely washed so like he might he might want oh he might be like you know maybe can i at least get the mid-level from somebody i don't know I mean, if he's willing to take the minimum and he's, you know, okay with maybe Zach Collins is going to be the starting power forward and not him. If he's okay with, you know, that that kind of reduced role and he wants this. I mean, he has talked about, you know, how comfortable he is here, how much he likes it here, how much he wants to stay. It's going to I mean, obviously, I think money is going to be an issue. And I think that now, you know, his longtime agent, Leon Rose, just got hired as president of the Knicks. And so I think there's a chance he might want to just go back to the Knicks. That's also like, that's where Lala and his son still live. So that might be what he ends up doing. But if he's, if the Blazers can bring him back, I'm all for it. Yeah. I I'm, I'm all for it in the sense of number one, he has to come off the bench. Like that's, that's just the reality Like Neil's not going to let Carmelo Anthony dictate whether or not his, you know, lottery pick big who he covets just whether or not he's starting or not. Like that's just, that's just not going to happen. If Melo's willing to accept that. And I think, Excuse me. My biggest hesitation with Mello was that he would be unwilling to go to a role like that. Like if let's say that got healthy or something along sure. those lines. But after watching him this year, and like Sean said, Mello doesn't didn't have to say he really enjoyed his time here. Like it was an unprompted. Like no man, I legitimately like it here. And I can't remember who had it, but there was an there was an article that talked about how Mello and Lala were going back and forth about how Lala told Mello you should just go to Portland. Like it's, it's like, it's right in your face. Like, why don't Harry you go? I, I think it might've been Eggers who had that, but Shout it was really, Harry Eggers, by the way, legend who was, you know, forced to retire, sadly, RIP. Um, but the, the whole idea of like him being unwilling and then all of a sudden flipping that over to like, no, I like it here. I want to stay here. And like, I know people right. are probably bothered by the whole Lamarcus Aldridge. I don't want to retire a blazer thing, but Melo, we've talked about this, is the most famous dude the Blazers have ever had. And so for him to go out and say that, like, that's that's something that's a, a big deal as far as, like, the corporate side of things. So, listen, I'll take him back, but it's definitely going to be on a particular level. Is Portland an underrated NBA city? In, so. like, yeah. like, they should probably attract more free agents. I think the, it depends on who, you know, who you are and what your lifestyle is. Like, I... I mean, I think I think there's definitely something to be said for the fact that, you know, Portland is a very white city. And so for, you know, considering what the demographics are of the NBA, I can understand why some of them might look at it and say, yeah, I don't know about this. But, you know, it's a good if you're into like nature stuff, which, you know, some guys have talked about liking, you know, that that's all here. You know, there's there's a lot of great food here. You know, the Nike campus is right here. If you're a Nike guy, which Mello is, obviously. Like there's, there's a lot going for it. And it's also like, it's a fan base that like they sell out every year 
like every year, every game is sold out. Like, like you're not going to have more. Like, and, and I mean, you saw that with Melo, like the first night, like, his first home game. Cause like he joined the Blazers on that road trip, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then, you know, they come back his first game, they play Oklahoma city. I went up to the team store during like the you oh, know, 30 minutes before pregame. Mellow jerseys were already sold out at the team store in his first yeah. game. And then like the rest of the year, you see like all mellow jerseys, mellow, no matter where he like, like whether he stays or whether he, you know, goes back to the Knicks next year or whatever, he's going to be loved here everywhere. Like, and I mean, the Blazers are just one of those fan bases where unless you're Raymond Felton, every player, every, every, every player who has ever played for the Blazers, even for like just one season is loved here forever. It's, That's it's, amazing. It's wild. Raymond Felton is quite literally the only dude, maybe Ruben Patterson. And he did, you know, shit that we don't even want to talk about. Much worse stuff than Raymond Felton. Who yes. showed up out of shape after the lockout. <laughs> Poor Felton. <laughs> it's, it's like, if you come here, and here's the thing, like, as far as being an underrated city, I, I get it. And should, like, the things that Sean touched on make sense. Uh, if, if you're a, a black dude who grew up in the South, in a major city, it is a stark contrast between uh, the whitest major city in the country. Like, yeah. that's, that's a real problem to overcome. But if you look at the guys who have come here and gave the city a chance, the guys like Channing Fry, the guys um, like Mello, like Hassan, like even though Hassan was traded here, he he's gone. He said it he embraced times. it. He yeah. loves it here. Like, yeah, Robin the, Lopez still has a place here. Yes, Robin lives here. Like, there's a ton of guys that live here in the off season who have played. Well, it's great here. during the summer too. Let's, yeah, let's not forget fantastic weather. And that's the thing is like, if the hardest part is getting guys here because once they get here, it's cool. But the problem is, is these guys come here during January, February on a road trip on the you know back of a five-game trip, and they're like, this place is hell. I don't want to be here. And that's like their their vision of Portland. So I, I think it's definitely underrated from a player perspective. But once guys get here, then they understand like, man, this place is pretty cool. I can dig it here. All right. Uh, so moving on, uh, second guy we're going to talk about is Trevor Ariza. He was a uh, trade deadline uh, traded guy for Kent Bazemore. Um, 21 games, 11 points a game. He actually looked like he could still play basketball for the first time in a couple of years. Um, kind of perfect. It, 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 he's the first real like suited size wise wing to play next to Dame and CJ in their entire run. They have not had anyone who can play both ends on the court with this sort of size. And, and and be as competent as Trevor Ariza ever. They, no, they had one other guy. They had Batum. Who? They had Batum. Oh, okay. For, for that, like one year or whatever. But the, that's exactly my point. And that's that you set that up perfectly because everybody here got so wrapped up in how great Trevor Ariza was. Oh my God. Like he had a 20 point game and they're like hanging his jersey from the rafter, confetti's falling, rose petals are falling at his feet. And it's like, Guys, what what are we doing here? This is just competent level wing play. Like the bar was just so stupidly low for expectation of wing play in Portland. Because let's be honest, you had guys like Harkless and Aminu who they do the little things, but they don't really touch the box score frequently. Ariza is a guy who, hey, I can do all the little things, but by the way, I'm competent in the fast break. I'm competent as a corner three-point shooter. I'm competent pumping and getting by a closeout. Like, that was a thing. They finally had a wing player who 
wasn't siloed skill set wise. Like he could do a little bit of everything and not be a joke. The like people are gonna kill probably Bazemore for his time here. It'll still be like, but like the production played out of position. But that's exactly it. He's he was too small. Or you know he's playing a three four. Like that's yes. You can do that with Wes Matthews, who's an absolute truck. Like for a few minutes, you can't do that with Kent Bazemore. Ariza gets out there and immediately like he's such a better defender than Bazemore. It's like no, he's not. He's just. Eight inches taller. What, what, yeah, it's more and more physical. It yeah. was able to be physical without it wearing him out the way it did with Bazemore. And we'll we'll talk about Bazemore next because uh, it is interesting to have these guys back to back. Um, but but with Ariza doing the job perfectly, filling the 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 role they needed him to fill. I just give him a B. Like it was just yeah. like yeah. You, you came in and you did like people were blown away. It's like God, it's it's really been this long since they like. If you go back like pre Batum, the last time the Blazers had a competent six five or taller wing was Brandon Roy, and before that, it's Scottie Pippen. Like that's like if you look at like the Blazers lineage <laughs> yeah. of wings, they've got guards and they've got bigs. They have very rarely had wings. It's Clyde and it's Brandon. Like. There's not a whole lot of wing play in there where you're just like, yeah, they've had a lot of really good perimeter dudes who have some size. And you're like, no, they haven't. Holy crap. Well, there, it's, this is going to go down as one of those like accidentally great Neil Olshay moves, because when they traded for him, it was purely a luxury tax move. It was purely mm-hmm. a salary dump. I don't even like and I think I think, you know, they liked the fact that his contract only has a small guarantee for next year. And they thought maybe we can flip Ariza at the deadline and maybe get something else I, or, you know, use that with the white side deal for something. I don't know. Like they, they did not trade for Trevor Ariza thinking this is going to be the piece that kind of helps us with this playoff push. And then he comes in and like Dan said, he plays competently on the wing, which is an upgrade over what they had before. And suddenly now he looks like a piece that you a wanted to keep for the rest of the season, but also might just want to bring back at that $12 million salary next year, just to have a body that you know what you're going to get out of him and is competent and, He's I think Ariza is also one of those guys that plays well when he's on good teams, because the last couple of years, like when he was in Phoenix and then when he was in Washington and then he was with uh, Sacramento, people thought, OK, Ariza's completely done like this. I don't know what, you know, he, he just because like, he was awesome in Houston a couple of years ago. And then, you know, he signed, you know, takes the money, goes to Phoenix. Phoenix is terrible. He's not really doing anything. Goes to Sacramento, gets his contract. Same thing. He's you know, he's really not doing anything. He gets to Portland where suddenly. This is a team that, you know, they weren't in the playoffs when they uh, traded for him, but they were still trying to make the playoffs. And they had other guys like Dame and CJ and Mello who are competent and who are, you know, guys that you have to pay attention to. And Ariza was feeling like, OK, maybe I'm in a more competitive situation now that, you know, it, it, it's worth maybe it's worth it more for me to really, you know, bring it. And he did. And he, you know, he brought exactly what you would expect Trevor Ariza to bring. I, I, I'm with Dan. I give him a B. He kind of met expectations. I'll give him a B plus. Yeah, sure. Because I, I think that, I mean, you know, I'm not going to give him an A because he didn't, you know, he wasn't a game changer, but he definitely played the role they needed and, and did pretty well. I mean, um, you're grading on a curve. That's, that's my, yeah, my whole exactly. thing is like, you're just like, well, what do they need? What, well, that's like this entire season in a nutshell. Like yeah. outside of Damian Lillard, you're like, you're grading on a curve. And that's, it's such a weird way to look at everything, but just like the way expectations played out for this team to mm-hmm. start the season versus how it may or may not have ended are, yeah. are definitely uh, going to be weird to look back on in like 10 years. Yeah. Also, I'm with you, uh, Hyken. The, the, the cost to bring him back is worth it, especially because you're so 
you know, you're kind of handcuffed by the salary situation that you're in mm-hmm. anyway. It just doesn't really cost you anything to keep them. You know, that that if they if they're not doing well next year, they can move that expiring contract. Not a big deal. Might as well bring them back, see what you got. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, if Rodney Hood is healthy, yeah, you, you got a decent little wing rotation going on there yeah. for a team that struggled to fill that that hole. But uh, so Kent Bazemore is next. Uh, was traded to Sacramento in the aforementioned Trevor Ariza trade. Um, had a pretty bad year, honestly. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, again, taking into account that he mostly played out of position, seemed like the the fatigue from the extra effort on the defensive end might have affected him on the other end. Of course, he really is just not not a great shooter anyway. So this this idea that he's some sort of 3 and D guy, I mean, he, he's a basically a league average three-point shooter for his career. But if you look, if you look back early on, he he was not great. He had one year where he shot about forty percent, and other than that, he's he's been thirty four ish for his career. So you know the expectations for him to come in and be this. All right, I'm going to be this knockdown thirty eight, thirty nine percent three point shooter, and I'm going to lock people up on the wing. It just was unrealistic to begin with. Yeah, well, it was more than that too, because it wasn't just Bazemore in the vacuum. Because if it was Bazemore in the vacuum, it would be like, ah, yeah, he definitely underperformed. But what he was doing was replacing Evan Turner. So E.T., who I love him. I mean, as a dude, is there's not many more people that are that are fun to cover than that guy. But on the court, it was just the squarest of pegs in the roundest of holes. It just did not fit. They weren't going to give him the keys to really run the second unit. And what last year he took 11, I believe, total corner threes before, you know, getting traded to Atlanta in the offseason. And in this system, in the in the in the uh, motion offense, you just can't have him out there without having four other shooters on the floor. And that's just something that Portland, they didn't have the luxury to do. So Bazemore comes in, I believe he was like a 40% corner three-point shooter, which again, you're not setting the world on fire. You should be 44, 45. We're talking about a plus shooter from the corner, right? So we're great. Again, we're grading on this stupid curve of, well, he's better than Turner, you know, fit wise. The other thing was, and we kind of bought into this in the preseason was that he was going to be that secondary ball handler creator that was going to fit alongside Hazonia, that was going to fit alongside Simons with that second unit so that none of those three guys had to be the, you know, the dominant ball handler. And that didn't work. Like Bazemore was, I, I don't know what happened because I've, I've seen him in the past where he facilitated the offense well enough to be a secondary or a tertiary guy. But for whatever reason, it just didn't work. And then you slide him up to the 3-4 defensively when you know injuries start piling up and fit isn't matching up. And, and it just it, it fell apart. It absolutely unequivocally fell apart. Uh, for me, I'm going C-minus. But because, I mean, it, it, it never worked on any level. He had maybe two games. Where you're like, yeah, cool, and I and I know we're again we're grading on the curve, but even before things like looks just went sideways, he struggled big time. It was never ever gonna fit. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Hiken. Yeah, I mean, I think C minus D plus is kind of where I would go with Baysmore. I I really thought he would be better. Like going into the season, and you know when they when they did the trade for Evan Turner, I thought, okay, this is a much better fit. 
He's going to be able to just knock down corner threes. You know, we know what he can do on the defensive end. The Hawks have been rebuilding the last couple of years. So it was maybe unfair to just look at his production there. And so I thought, you know, he was maybe a guy that you go, you get him back on a team that's competitive and, you know, he'd be able to bring that, you know, kind of be that fit that they kind of wanted to be. So I really thought he'd be better and it just never really happened. Okay. um, I'm going to say an F. Okay. And this is, this is going to, I mean, it's going to sound harsh, but uh, individual net rating. Not a great stat, but per basketball reference, he was minus 21. Yeah, no, it was that's not it was, was really bad. Yeah, they couldn't score and they got smoked on the other end when he was on the court. And that matches the eye test. Uh, he just he couldn't hold up against. And, and again, I get it playing out of position. But yeah, I mean, he was just, you know, he was a revolving door uh, on defense and and on offense. He just didn't really bring much. Um, so yeah, give him an F an F that's where I'm at. I think if, if, if everybody was healthy and we weren't looking at this season through this jacked up lens, I'd be there with you, but because they're playing him out of position, they're probably asking him to do things that he shouldn't be doing. That's, that's the only reason I, I, I grade him up with like, you, I guess, see my, you know what? I probably should go D plus because it, it wasn't a passing grade. C minus is still passing. B plus. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. C's get degrees. Yeah, exactly. So he he definitely did not get the degree. Let, let, let's right. go with that. He's he's got to talk to the professor for some extra credit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're we're not going to talk about Moses Brown. Well, we already did. Uh, Zach Collins. He only played three games before he suffered the shoulder injury. I do want to just briefly touch on him uh, because he's such an important piece moving forward. Clearly, this season is an incomplete. Okay. Yeah. But early on. There was a lot of promise. Like you saw exactly the way that that Stotts wants to deploy him. You could even see how it could work next year when Nurkic is back and healthy and, and these two are, are kind of roaming, you know, behind the defense uh, as your helpers. And uh, honestly, they might have a really good defense next year just because of Zach Collins and Nurkic. The the ability to cover inside 15 feet is not something this team will struggle with when those guys are both healthy. That is just not Zach's going to end up being probably one of the five best weak side shot blockers in the league when it's all said and done when he's in his prime. There's no doubt in my mind. There's plenty of questions that I have about him, but his ability to read the floor defensively, be there on the weak side, cover ground, be big, move his feet incredibly well because he's a legit seven-footer. Like He's he's a long kid. But between him and Nurk, anything inside 15 feet, I, I don't question. My question that I have for Kim, and it's a bummer we didn't get to see it this year, is how can he cover for Dame, for CJ, for whatever wings out there when they put him on an island on one of these tweener, twitchy, off the bat? Like he moves his feet well for a guy his size. But this but, is where Nurk is the luxury. Exactly. Because if he gets beat, to him. right, as long as, he, as long as he does his job and with uses that length to cut off the passing lanes, it doesn't, you don't have to stay in front of guys. I mean, listen. 2020 NBA defense has nothing to do with staying in front of people that like that is an old school isolation offense mindset, like from the seventies and eighties playing playground basketball, even (laughs) NBA defense has nothing to do with your ability to just stay right in front of a guy. It's about funneling somebody. Exactly. Exactly. It is about working the scheme. And, and you mentioned him as a, as a help defender. Well, Nurkic is probably 
better right now as a helper. And so as long as Collins can can move his feet well enough and and use his IQ, which, you know, I don't know where it's at right now because I didn't get to see him this year. It's to cut off the passing lanes and just not get burned. That's, that's right? the question I have. Is, is, is he good enough at 30 feet to not get burned right. by those quick, twitchy, switchable 3-4 hybrid mm-hmm. kind of guys? That's the defensive question I have about him because, again, inside 15 feet, those two guys are going to eat up everything. And again, we're, we're giving Zach the incomplete, but that's like that to me, as far as his growth, that was the one thing that I was looking forward to this year because it, it decides whether or not you can really continue to go with Dame and CJ. Yeah. Because if you don't continue to go with Dame and CJ, it'll be one of those weird situations where you're just like, uh, we got to find something else that isn't working because even with Zach and Nurk back there, this is still a problem. I think the thing that was really disappointing about Zach not being able to play for most of this year is just he's kind of the one guy that covers up a lot of what Whiteside's weaknesses are, at least on the defensive end. And so, you know, what, once he went down, you just really saw, you know, just ex- exactly what they, you know, what his potential is and what he can bring. And it was actually interesting because, like, you know, when he had that injury, they said the timeline might be that he would be back in like mid-March, but then you kind of also heard that, okay, like it's a shoulder injury. They're probably not going to play around with it. But then, you know, I saw Zach, you know, about a week before the season was shut down. He was just kind of hanging out in the locker room. So I was just talking to him, asking him how his rehab was going. He seemed to think it was going well. And I was like, do you think you're going to play this season? And he looked at me like I was crazy. He was like, yeah, of course I'm going to play this season. So they might've gotten him back before the playoffs uh, started. But they weren't going to make the playoffs. So it didn't matter. Uh, (laughs) So, uh, either one of you guys have any uh, Winion Gabriel takes? Nice kid. Listen, man, I'm not going to give him a grade or anything. Yeah. If if we're talking about like end of the roster guys, the Blazers should be taking flyers on. He's one of those guys. A hundred percent. He he did things in the final like 10 games there before things went sideways where like you knew he was on the floor. And there's Portland is so bereft of of guys who are taller than six foot five who let you know that they're on the floor. And listen, I'll when in Gabriel getting on the floor is almost always worth the price of admission. So I am I am 100 percent team team Wenyan uh, as far as bringing him back and, and them taking a flyer on him. Uh, next up. Mario Hazonia, and I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure nobody has anything to say about this guy. I have to, I have to listen. I, I got to be transparent. I love Mario Hazonia, mm-hmm. and I thought Mario Hazonia was going to be amazing because the Euro guys that that seem to succeed all have the same mindset mindset as Hazonia does. Mm-hmm. It is I'm the best player in the gym every single time I walk into a gym. The difference is Hazonia is nowhere close. <sighs> yeah, it so during preseason, Mario is out there, and again, I know it's preseason and I know better than this, but it looked real and everybody believed it, locally and nationally. They're like, damn, Hazonia, like maybe just getting out of those cesspits in the Eastern Conference has made him a viable NBA player, and he's going to kind of live up to maybe some of his billing. It's he's out your there. hashtag Mario Hazonia puts it all together. Exactly. And uh, he gets out there, and he is just carving up defenses 
pushing tempo, getting out, running, driving to the rim, finishing, dunking, hop-stepping, euro-stepping, kicking out, just eating dudes up, getting Portland out into early to offense uh, with, uh, you know, generating turnovers, you know, 40 feet from the rim. And you're like, okay, the second unit, it's going to have some lumps when they have to run in the half court a little bit probably, but they've got a 6'8", six, 6'9", six, combo forward who seems to get it. And they're, they're going to let him, you know, have the keys and, and get out there and do things. And then the first six, seven games happened. And, and I have never seen an NBA player, Wiley Coyote, a season so fast. Like he ran into the pane of glass that he couldn't see and, you know, slid down off the cliff. It was incredible. Like everything that looked good immediately fell apart. And I I don't know if it was a confidence thing or, you know, had had a rough stretch where it was like he just couldn't get on track. And it wasn't until probably the last seven games before things started to fall apart uh, as far as the coronavirus stuff is concerned that he started to kind of come back. And grade wise, I'll give him a passing grade. Yeah, I'll give him a passing grade. I'll give him the C uh, just because I think they put him in the position and he was probably one of the few guys that was put in a position and asked to do things he should have been capable to do. But also they were like, hey, Mario, by the way, we don't have any bigs and Paolo Gasol's never going to play a minute for this franchise. Go play center. So, yeah, it's kind of hard for me to really beat him up when – he, when he was struggling the most, they were literally asking him to play center. So I, I now hold I, on. See, now I'm, I'm all in on Mario Hazonia as your super small ball five. Okay. Come on. That I am actually not entirely against point that. center. Mario Hazonia. Come Wait, on. Here's the thing, but it has to be with guys that, you know, aren't all in their first or second year in the league. Nah, like, nah it's was, fun. He was out there with Ant, with Gary, with uh, Nasir, with Jalen. And you're just sitting there just like, oh, boy, the, the guy with the most experience out there right now is Mario Zonia. And that's and you're asking him to play again, play center defensively. And it, it, it was if it, it went about as you expected it to go. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I've been a Mario Hazonia believer since he was drafted. Like he was I think he's probably the guy I've been the most wrong on in the draft <laughs> in the last 10 years or so, because I really thought he was going to be good. and. It just never happened for him. But, you know, I kind of I did buy into the, you know, now he got to a good situation. He's not with the Knicks anymore. Like he might be able to put it all together. And it it just didn't happen for him. <laughs> I, I, and I mean, it was actually like he was one of the most entertaining players, I think, to watch this season mm-hmm. in, in just sort of a you can't look away type of uh, type of manner where every single possession of his was an adventure. Like I remember that possession. I think it was in the Toronto game right before the road trip at the beginning of the season where he had like two airballed layups on the same possession. And then like he, there, he just, there was just so many great plays like that. Just like he was like a Shaq and a fool all-star, but he also just had a couple of games here and there where it was like, okay, Mario Azonia is actually the one keeping them in this. You know, he's hitting threes. He's he even made some good defensive plays. Like there, like there was reason to believe like at some point this might happen and it just never fully happened on a consistent basis for him. So I think like C minus D plus, like it wasn't, it wasn't an F. Like, I think his worst looks like an F, but like, yeah, he, he, he did enough. Yeah, he had stretches of F play, but it was mostly a D season for me. Yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of that, I got to admit, man, it's, it's my own disappointment because I thought he was going to be so great. Um, you know, watching him play in Europe and, and the confidence that he showed. And I mean, 
the guy would pull up regularly from 30 feet like he was Steph Curry. And I just really thought it was going to translate when he came over. He never was able to defend uh, <laughs> worth a <of> shit. <laughs> and that that's not going to help you out a lot. Um, didn't seem like he was very interested in defending uh, so far in his career. And uh, yeah, it does suck that it didn't work out because I really thought he was going to be great. Okay, so we went kind of long on the first one. Uh, we'll be back next week with part two of our Blazers report card. Both things play hard. Both things play hard. God bless and good night.